0: Well, Mel and whoa, this is loud. Scott, you must have like whispered last week preaching. So no, I'm just teasing. So no, Mel and Worship Team Choir, thank you all so very much. Man, I feel like I need to get down here. I'm gonna pick on back row baptist today. So I'm just gonna stand on the pew here. This is even better. Good. No, but anyway, it is a pleasure seeing all of you all here today, this morning. And uh, if I ask you guys to come up, please don't be offended next week. No, I'm just totally teasing, but this is a fun sight right here. Um We are starting a new uh, sermon series, and if you take your bulletin out, you'll see it right here at the front, living a whole life the whole way. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all that we are, to love our neighbor as ourselves. As a former missionary, I got saved in early high school. Young life was a huge part of just my growing up, my discipleship. Uh, The Lord gave me a deep, just passion, and it was all Him. Of saving the lost. And then when I went off to college. Felt like the Lord was calling me to the mission field. And I lived for the great commission. And it burned me out. And the Lord convicted me greatly. That the great commandments. Have to be first and foremost. And out of the overflow of our love relationship with Jesus. Loving him because God first loved us. Out of that overflow of love. It then flows to loving and serving others. And fulfilling the Great Commission. So, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the Great Commandments, living a whole life the whole way. So, if you could all stand and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to start in verse 34. Matthew 22. Starting in verse 34 down to verse 40, it will be up on the screen. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it love your neighbor. As yourself, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. You may be seated. Every year since I've been here, at least, we've had a sermon, uh, a vision sermon, preached by our senior pastor Mike Glenn. And I still laugh. I was called to put my name in the hat to be pastor at Woodbine because I heard that mission sermon, that vision sermon, down in Hudson Hall at the Brentwood campus. And then the next week, I felt compelled to come here. We were still meeting in the chapel. And because of some technology issues, guess what Woodbine got to listen to that day? That same sermon that was recorded the week before. And I remember sitting in the back of the chapel, hearing the Lord. Okay, I got you, Lord. This is where you're calling me next. So I got to hear that sermon series two Sundays. And since then, every year, we would have Mike would preach down at the Brooklyn campus, and we would watch it live here at Woodbine. Uh, But we've recorded a short sermon that he's going to preach at our last quarterly staff meeting. And so we're going to watch our senior pastor, Mike, for about 10, 12 minutes. And then afterwards, I'm going to share some words about us for Woodbine. So let's listen to what Mike says.
1: Good morning. I'm Mike Glenn, senior pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church. And for those of you that I haven't had a chance to get to know personally, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us here on this Vision Sunday with all of our campuses. We do this a couple of times a year just to keep uh, everybody on the same page and remind everybody, hey, this is where we're going, and we're all going to the same place. Now, we may use kind of different ways to get there. Each campus is unique. Each campus has its own context, and therefore it has its own unique challenges and goals. But together, we have one destination. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So I know you want to know, hey, Mike, where is Brentwood Baptist Church going? Well, before we talk about that, let's talk about where we are. Where are we right now? You know, anytime you turn on a software, the software wants to be able to use your location. Google wants to use your location. Dropbox wants to use your location. It seems that none of our apps can work unless they first know where we are. Maybe that's a good lesson for us. Maybe the first thing we need to know is where are we? Well, we're not where we thought we were. Now, I know you're going to say, hey, Mike, how can we be anywhere different? We're standing right where we were. Well, you know, we're like the person who went to the parade and we found a great spot on the end of the street. And when the parade comes by, we're at the beginning of the parade. But as the parade goes by and ends, now we're at the end of the parade. You're at the beginning. Now you're at the end. But you're standing in the same place. But you're in two very, very different places a lot has changed in Middle Tennessee while we were doing all of our campuses. While God was opening up doors in all kinds of ways throughout Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee was going through one of its most drastic changes in the history of Middle Tennessee. How so? Well, we're continuing to grow. As you know, Nashville is now the it city, whatever that means only thing we can figure out is that more people from around the nation are coming here. They're coming here from California, Colorado, New York, Illinois, and they're all getting on the interstate at the same time. (laughs) Now, what does that mean? What have I just told you? Now, if you're a lifelong Southern Baptist like I am, I have just listed areas that we called pioneer areas. You know what that means? It means there weren't many Southern Baptists in those areas. So these people are now coming here to Nashville, what you and I would consider the buckle of the Bible belt. They're coming here, but for the same reasons we do. They like the school systems, they like the safety, like, they like the beauty, they like the weather. But they're not looking for church, not even thinking about it. It's not on their mind at all. See what I mean? Standing in the same place, but finding ourselves in a very, very different place. We're not where we thought we were. Studies tell us that in the next few years, 30 to 40 million young adults will leave the faith. They will leave home, they will go to college, and they will disenfranchise from the Christian faith. We're not where we thought we were. So, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we don't panic. I know it's post-Christian. I know we're worried about our nation and Judeo-Christian values and all of that. But listen, the church of Jesus Christ has been here before. And what did we do? Here's what the church did before. It refocused on prayer. It's not up to our strategies. It's not up to our planning. There's some times that only the Spirit of God can affect the change that we need to see. Only the Spirit of God can bring the power that we need to happen in this place or that place, and it only happens in spiritual warfare. It's interesting that Paul tells the Ephesians to put on the full armor of God, and then the next thing he says, pray. Put on the full armor of God, then pray. Why? Because the battle is fought in prayer. Now I know you're waiting for me to say, hey, we're going to meet every Wednesday night, we're going to pray, we're going to meet every Tuesday morning, pray. I have done that my entire life. I've called the people to pray. We've had prayer meeting. After prayer meeting, we've opened doors. We've sent, And I'm done. I'm not doing that anymore. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Until the people of God get serious about prayer, nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to change. Now, can I schedule a time for prayer? Yeah. But what I can't do is break your heart for a lost nation so that prayer is your only option. What I can't do is force you to call your friends and say, listen, I'm so broken over this. Can we meet before we go to work and pray? Can we meet after we get home? Do you want to meet Saturday morning? Do you want to meet Friday morning? When it's driven by you and your heartache and your compassion for your lost friends and lost neighbors, then we'll see a change. Now we'll open up all of our facilities anytime you want us to. But I'm waiting for you to have your heart broken. That's where it starts, when the church has a broken heart and rediscovers prayer, when the church rediscovers the scripture. Now, I know you're saying, hey, Mike, we carry Bibles all the time. You can't walk five feet in any of our churches without seeing a Bible. Do you know about 30% of the people in church never read the Bible? Oh, they read this book and that book. They go to self-help and they'll buy that book and that author, What they won't do is read God's Word, meditate on it, pray over it. That's what keeps the church alive. That's what keeps us vital. That's what marks us as different, is God's wisdom flowing in our lives. Out of that recommitment to prayer, out of that recommitment to Scripture, comes a recommitment to each other, to a brotherhood, to a sisterhood, to a fellowship that says, hey, we're all on this journey together, and we are responsible to each other, and responsible for each other. John Wesley called it holiness groups, where brothers and sisters would get together and say, how are you doing? Are you in the scriptures? Are you in prayer? What are you learning from the Lord? What's he teaching you? Where's he leading you? What's he doing in and through you? The great movements, that's what started the orphanages, the hospitals, the colleges. It all happens when God's people get serious about their relationship with God. Our mission statement, engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Now, who's going to do all of that? You are. We can't hire enough people to do all of the ministry and mission that God is going to open up for us. We were never intended to. God did not call a group of professionals to do his work. He called his church. People like you, People just like you, across history, across time, were anointed by God, touched by God to do significant works. Remember, Jesus promised us that we would do greater things than he did. Now, just think about that. What's opening up for us is a greater ministry than Jesus had. That's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for me. It's what he wants for you. To be able to walk in a dead community and bring people back to life help children find their purpose, help individuals know their identity and destiny in Him to make that difference. The first Reformation gave the Bible back to the people. The second Reformation is giving ministry back to the people. That's you. So here's what you're going to see in this coming year. You're going to see an emphasis on worship. Most people will give us one hour on Sunday. That means the worship hour has to be the time when we drive the central message in everybody's life from that we want it to flow out to groups in your neighborhoods in your communities it's interesting but your lost friends won't come to church they'll come to your house and then when they get to know you they may eventually come to church but you know in this new future a lot of these people we reach in house churches will never ever enter a sanctuary they'll come to your house that's where church will happen for them so, you're going to see us working on identifying and training leaders and making sure that every street, every neighborhood, every community, every town, every county in Tennessee has a place where someone can find Jesus, where somebody knows how much they're loved, where they know how much Jesus is looking for them. Now, you're looking at me going, Well, you know, Mike, that's really not a complicated plan. No, it's not, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's the same plan that Jesus gave his disciples. Reach Jerusalem, reach Judea, reach Samaria, then go to the ends of the earth. Nothing has changed. Everything has changed. We're standing in the same place, but standing in some place very, very different. We've been here before, and this is what we did. We prayed, we found the scripture again, we found each other again, and we found our God is still working, still looking for those who are lost, broken, wounded, and he's calling us to do the same. Here's what I'm looking forward in this coming year. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for you to be in a place where you see God work in such a powerful and overwhelming way that you can't wait to get to worship service so you can celebrate with God's people what you saw, what God did. I'm looking for the time when I'll stand up to preach, but someone will stand up and say, Pastor, I know you're ready to preach the sermon, but can I tell you what I saw Jesus do this past Thursday? And testimony after testimony after testimony Happens in our churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I never preach. You do. First Reformation gave the Bible back to the people. The second Reformation is giving ministry back. I can't tell you how excited I am that God is trusting us with this moment. Join us. Find your place. God is up to something. Make sure you're in the middle of it. And now, here's your pastor to tell you what this is going to look like in your context.
0: I've watched this video four or five times the past week or two, and there's lots of takeaways, but there's three I just want to highlight really quickly, and they'll be up here on the screen. The first takeaway take is prayer, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in the next couple of minutes. The second one is Scripture. And over the past several weeks, I've showed you guys the Wesleyan Quadrilateral about Scripture being the foundation, and then above is tradition, and then our experience and our reason. Scripture has to be the bedrock. We run to the Scriptures, we read the written word to encounter the living word. And then the third thing takeaway is groups. The importance not to get in holy huddles but groups where we can edify and encourage one another and then reach out to our dear neighbors, friends, co-workers, those who don't know Jesus. Invite them in. It's all about relationships. Here in Matthew chapter 22, if you guys open your Bibles, the context of this little passage, we're going to look at it briefly, but it's the Great Commandments. This is the last week of Jesus' life. He's been preaching, teaching, healing, setting the captives free for three and a half years. His 12 disciples, apostles, plus another larger group who followed him around, they had been with him through thick and thin. Peter actually got to walk on water. They saw the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. A couple of them went up the mountain with Jesus and saw him transfigured. And he was teaching and telling them all about the kingdom of God. And he was telling them for months that he would be turned over, betrayed, beaten, and killed by the Gentiles. This is that week, what we consider Palm Sunday when he came into Jerusalem and thousands of people, the multitudes, came together, cutting off palm branches, laying them on, waving them and laying uh, uh, garments on the ground as he came in on a donkey. That has happened. Jesus has numerous enemies, in particular the Sadducees and the Pharisees, some of the leading religious rulers. The Sadducees tried to trap him with questions about divorce and marriage. And right here in verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that, they had, that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. You see, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they hated each other. But they had one common enemy, and that was Jesus himself. And so when the Pharisees saw, ooh, look what Jesus did to the Sadducees. It's our turn now. And they came to him, and one of the experts in the law, your translation might say, lawyer, This is not the classic, typical lawyer that we think of. This is a man who had studied the scriptures, most likely had the whole Old Testament memorized. And the Pharisees had unbelievable significance and power within the synagogues themselves. Many were considered highly religious and extremely holy men. And there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Think about that, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And this is what the expert of the law asks in verse 36. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Every time I read this verse here, it takes me back to Mexico. Because as we met people in Mexico, guess what the first question was when they would ask me when they found out that I was a pastor? Guess what it was? What can't you do in your religion? Without fail, That was the very first question. What can't you do? Drink, dance, smoke, go with girls that do, go to the movies, play cards, wear skirts, wear makeup. I mean, the list was enormous. What can't you do? And as I read Scripture, I see that it's so full of commandments that we should do. But the Pharisees would argue about which is the greatest commandment. And this is a trick. It's a trap question. When this expert of the law refers to Jesus as teacher, he's mocking him. How does Jesus respond? I love it. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. We're called human beings, not human doings. And then that's a play on word. In English, it kind of works in Spanish, seres humanos, beings, human, not haceres, which is to do. But we're human beings. We were created for relationship. Our Heavenly Father created us in his incredible image, and he created us so that we would have a relationship, an intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us were created in his image and we are precious. And as you guys know, we're sinners and we're dead to sin. But because of Christ, he makes us a life through faith in Jesus. And we are created to have this love relationship with him. And when Jesus says we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind, depending on your translation, it's not so that things are compartmentalized. But unfortunately, in our culture, we compartmentalize everything. Mike even said it, most people will give us one hour a week. How many of us look for our Bibles when we find it? And it worked in Mexico because where we lived, it was a desert. Ooh, I haven't opened that in a while. But no, this all-encompassing, of loving God with our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, it's everything that we are. I got a funny story. Yesterday, there's this brick wall, this rock wall that divides my property with our neighbor's. And I, over about the past three weeks, I've been working on it. About 40 feet, I hire out 25 bucks an hour to move rocks and to stack walls again. And boy, my body is killing me. I was faking it as I was coming upstairs because I'm so sore. But I finished it yesterday. And then we went out to Granny White Park with some friends. They have six kids. And we decided, Dad's and the girls against the boys. They have one girl. We have one girl. So it was four of us against six. We played Ultimate Frisbee. And guess who won? Margie, who won? We did. And now I'm going to tell Sammy a secret. I got up this morning and it's like, oh, my hamstring, my back end, my Achilles tendons, everything hurts. Why? Because I was trying to outrun Sammy, out jump Sammy to get the Frisbee all afternoon. And he usually won. But this morning as I'm sitting on the back porch trying to read my Bible and pray, I sit in there and think, man, I'm not where I used to be when I was 15, 16 years old, exercising two, three hours a day, training for basketball. My poor old body is so sore. Why? Because yesterday in that Frisbee game, I wanted to win so bad that I gave my whole self, my whole being into that game. And I'm paying for it today. Now, that's a funny story. But as I was thinking about this sermon, when we love God with everything that we are, that means we need to completely jump in. When you guys, some of us probably still love to swim, but like the first day of summer when the pool finally opens, trying to jump into the deep end when the water's still cold, who would do it? Who likes to jump into the deep end of cold water? Adam. Most of us are like, tippy toe, we slowly go in. But God calls us to jump completely in. Our mind, our heart, our strength, everything that we are, we're to love God. It's a love relationship. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. There are commandments we're to do. But we're to sacrifice our whole self to him as a loving, living sacrifice. And then look what Jesus says. He didn't just give one answer. He gave two. Which is the greatest commandment? Well, there's two parts to it. Look what Jesus says here. In verse 39, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the first commandment comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. I can't pronounce it correctly, the Shema. But every faithful Jew would recite those two verses, morning and night. And it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. That's the first and greatest commandment. But then Jesus takes out of Leviticus 19, 18, this verse here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now most of us probably don't think too much about how we love ourselves. But how do you love yourself? Really well. How can you prove that, Mike? Why do we love ourselves and how do we love ourselves? I wrote down a couple things. We want the best for ourselves. We think about ourselves all the time. We think about our interests, what we want, what we need, how we can better ourselves, how we can improve ourselves. We do it all the time. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve ourselves, we invest time. Energy, resources, even our talents and treasures, we invest so that we get better, so that we improve, to protect ourselves, care for ourselves. We feed ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally. That's how we love ourselves. And we're commanded to love ourselves. We are God's body, and He's purchased us with His precious blood. So we're not our own. We've been lent. And we've been created to be good stewards of who we are. But the same way we love ourselves, Jesus commands us to love others. With the same energy and effort and focus and intentionality, we're to consider others better than ourselves. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, John, Paul, Peter, James they all talk about these two commandments if you just do a word study on one another you'll see not an infinite amount but so many verses that talk about how to practically love others but these apostles talk about how all the commandments are summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God with all that we are so Jesus here and I love the next verse in verse 40 All the Law and Prophets depend on these two commands. How much of the Law and Prophets? All. Say it together. All. Not with a W, with two L's. All. Everything that's written revolves around the Great Commandments. Out of the overflow of our love relationship with our Heavenly Father... We're able to love and serve others. It's a love relationship. What does that mean for us? Going back to just the practicalities of what we heard from Mike. Prayer, scriptures, groups. Every summer, we as a staff spend hours talking about the next year. It says in Proverbs that without vision, the people perish. They cast off restraint. One of the big critiques about Brentwood Baptist is it's too corporate. It's too corporate. It's too much like a business. And it's really easy to pop and thump our church sometimes because it might feel that way. But one of the things I love that we do is I love the fact that we plan and we talk about vision and strategy and goals, yearly goals, So our staff have come up with five goals for 2020. It's not everything we're going to do, and I'm not going to share all of them today, but there's four I want to share with. But before we do that, what is our mission statement? If you're paying attention and you go out these double doors here, the sanctuary, there's this tiny little blue sign on our chapel. That's our mission statement. Engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of who? Buddha? of Jesus Christ, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Anywhere, anytime, with anybody, we engage others with the gospel of Jesus. That is our mission statement. And based off of that mission, based off of our vision, I want to share with you a couple of goals that we as a staff really feel like that we as a congregation, Woodbine, need to do. Here's our first one. 2020 Woodbine Objectives. We wrote this one. Our staff, Woodbine staff, wrote this back in July. No? Mike preached his sermon that we just heard in August. This is the first and foremost objective that we've had since I've been on staff here. Look at what it says. Cultivate a desire, discipline, and practice of prayer and worship in every aspect of the church at Woodbine. Mike what the Holy Spirit spoke powerfully through what Mike said. That is prayer, it's the power of prayer. And we talk about it all the time. This morning when I woke up, I didn't want to pray, I didn't want to read my Bible. There are Sundays when I don't want to come here. Prayer is not easy. As Christians, we can talk a lot about prayer, but how many of us really pray? And I mean really pray. And it's a Holy Spirit thing. But I can tell you this, the farmers, there's many times when farmers, they have to get up way before the sun gets up. And they have to get out in the fields, and they have to cultivate the fields, and they have to do all the work with their animals. And if they don't, there will be no harvest. And if we don't even have a desire for prayer, I want to encourage all of us to even ask Holy Spirit, Lord, give me a hunger and thirst for prayer. I love to eat candy, but I hate to eat candy. And I've noticed in my life, the more candy I eat, the more candy I want to eat. Now, I love ice cream. I love ice cream. And Christy gets on to me because I'll go on these binges about every two months where all of a sudden ice cream shows up in the fridge. And the more I eat it, the more I want. But I've also noticed in my own life, the more I pray, the more I spend time praying with others, the more hunger I get for prayer. And I want to encourage all of you, if you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have your daily quiet times with the Lord, start today. It is our lifeline for that love relationship with our Heavenly Father. And don't take a huge bite like, I'm going to spend an hour every day. Start with five minutes. And if you don't even care about the Lord, and if it's just kind of, us the Christian thing to do, no, ask the Lord to change your heart and change your desires. There are several things that we do just practically as a church. We have that prayer wall back there. And I want to encourage you, when you come into the sanctuary, go to that prayer wall, pray for those prayer requests. The communication cards that we have in our bulletin, several of you, and I'm not going to name you by name, send us prayer requests every single week. You rip it off, you write down prayer requests, and you put it in the offering. We don't want to just talk about prayer, but we want to cultivate a prayer life. There's four or five of us every Monday morning that meet at 6 a.m. here to pray. But as even we heard from Mike, you don't have to come here to pray. We do have concerts of prayer that we do quarterly. There's a group of people doing something called Harp and Bowl where every other Thursday they're meeting in the chapel in the evening to pray and worship. A praying church is a powerful church. One of my best friends in Mexico, he would always say it. He would say, Mucho oración, mucho poder. Poco oración, poco poder. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. And I would submit to you that a praying church is a powerful church. And I have friends that fast and pray all the time. I know people who fast and pray all the time. And they truly see Holy Spirit doing more than what even Jesus did. It's a promise in John 12. If you believe in him and Jesus, Jesus promises that we will do more greater works than he did. That's a promise. Think about it. It's Jesus' words. And we don't pray and fast to get. We pray and fast to go deeper in our love relationship with him. That map back there, we put it up there last year as a prayer map. When you enter this sanctuary, I love watching, and this is going to come across as a rebuke, but please don't take it as a rebuke. Even though I know that I'm saying this, you'll take it as a rebuke. I love watching you guys come in and laughing and hugging and talking. I love that. But here's the rebuke this is a prayer center. This is a worship center. And if we only come in here, hey, what's up? How's it going? And I'm very guilty of it. And we don't realize that we're coming together into the presence of God Almighty to worship Him and to praise Him and to pray to Him. I don't say that like this, no, we have a loving Heavenly Father with arms wide open inviting us into His presence. But I also want us to be a praying church. Knowing that we can run to his arms. Like these little bitty ones run to the arms of their parents. And when you enter in this place, come with a heart. Expectant. Prayerful. Pray for those needs. Put prayer needs on there. And then go to that map there and pray over the countries in that map. Pray, 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 pray. Our life groups need to be full of prayer. Oh, we're almost done. Next objective. This will be quick. We've talked a lot about it. Engage lost and searching people through an increasing number of gospel conversations. Gospel conversations, sharing your faith. I heard an incredible testimony from one of our choir members this past week who stopped to help someone with car trouble, I believe, and had four gospel conversations in that time. Got here late for choir practice and was on fire for what God was doing the whole emphasis, emphasis of gospel conversations is that we would lift our eyes up from ourselves and be aware of what's going around us. One of the greatest challenges that we have is everybody's connected to their iPhone or their whatever, and they got their their whatever those are called, headphones in, and they're totally unaware of what's happening around them. We need to disconnect from technology to connect with Holy Spirit. Be aware of gospel conversations. The next one, the next objective. Launch a strategy for engaging an increasing number of people and groups based on disciples making disciples' relationships. All of us who follow and love Jesus are disciples of Jesus. And all of us who are disciples of Jesus need to be making disciples with our neighbors co-workers, our friends and the importance of group. It's easy to come even to a church our size. We're not that big and hide within the numbers. But we all need to be part of small groups. Sunday morning, during the week where we can encourage and edify one another and invite the unbeliever to come into our midst so that when they see our love that we have for one another, they would declare and fall to their knees, God is among you. It'll be hard to get non-Christians to come to church on Sunday morning. It's time to sleep in, do chores, watch football or whatever. But to come to our homes, invite them in our lives. The fourth one is this. Community engagement. Develop our MTI partnership. MTI stands for Middle Tennessee Initiative. To reach our community one of the things we've been talking about is the Woodbine window. That's Nolansville Road, Thompson Lane, 24,440. Now, we're bigger than that. But begin anew. Witsit Elementary School, our MDUs, Project Connect, People Loving Nashville. We not only, this is our Jerusalem right here. There are, I think it's 468 children are at Whitsitt Elementary School. 68% are Hispanic. They speak Spanish. 40% of those 68% are EL students. That means there's no English in their, class, in their home. Chris Echegaray, who's one of the administrators, told us that last month 20 Guatemalan children showed up and Spanish is their second language. They don't even speak English. There's a huge need right here. in our community, how can we develop our relationships with Begin A New More? How can we go deeper? But it's not just here. You guys know, it's the world. It's a huge privilege for us to be able to send the Nick and Breeze, the Joseph and Haley Roms, the Zach and Janae's to the ends of the earth, sending some of our dear brothers and sisters who've come here from China. They get saved, they come to know Jesus, and then they get to go back home Not as undercover agents, but they go home as missionaries back to their home culture to show the love of Jesus where they work, live, and play. We are called to share and show the light of Jesus in our Jerusalem, our Samaria, our Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Our Jerusalem is here, the wood by window. Our Samaria and Judea are Tennessee and the United States. Our ends of the earth is the ends of the earth. We'll talk a lot more about these. But what is God calling you to? First, it's to be in love relationship with Him with all your mind, strength, body, and soul. Then, it's to love others as you love yourself. So, we're going to pray. Let's all stand. Members of our prayer team will be down here to our left. And if God has been speaking with you today and you need prayer, want prayer, you can go over here to our next steps section as well. And we would love to pray with you. Something that we've done over the past couple years is God gives people to us and then he takes them away. And so Lisa, I want you to come forward. Lisa is moving to Florida. She's been very engaged in our church and choir small groups MDU and she this is your last Sunday correct yeah so if you could stand here and if several of y'all could come around Lisa we're going to pray over her Lisa we're so grateful to Jesus for you thank you you just jumped right in the deep end loving and serving him and us and we're going to pray for Lisa and then after I pray We'll close in worship. And if you need prayer, you can come forward over here to our next steps. We would love to pray with you. But I want to invite you now to pray with me as we pray over Lisa. Father, we want to thank you for this incredible day. And Jesus, we love you. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And Jesus, thank you for showing us what is the greatest commandment. is to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's to love our neighbors as ourselves. And all the law, all the prophets depend on those two commandments. So may we love you with everything that we are. Father, for those of us who are not loving you, convict us today. May we surrender to you now. Lord, break off even the shackles of embarrassment, shame, and to, to not even come forward and ask for prayer. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for our dear sister Lisa. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for just the incredible blessing she's been to us, just as a lover of you, Jesus. How she has served us with MDUs, with choir. Lord Jesus, how she has shown us who you are, Jesus, through her light, her love. And Lord Jesus, we commission her now as you send her to Florida. May she continue to shine your light and love to all those around. May she be a blessing to her family, to her new neighbors and friends. And Lord Jesus, we ask your double blessing upon her now. In your name, Jesus, we pray. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen.